Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens in the history of the church, things get messy. And after this past synod, and looking forward to this next synod, things are really starting to get messy in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We're dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. We also want to say thank you to everyone who sponsored us on Patreon. We're slowly making our way to our modest goal of 20 sponsors at $5 a month. So if you appreciate what we're doing and want to help us continue to put out content, head on over to patreon.com slash themessyreformation. You can also support us for free by sharing our content. I'm a terrible self-marketer and everyone knows that now, so I need your help. If you know of anyone who would benefit from listening to this content, let them know about the Messy Reformation. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part one of Willie and I's conversation about some of the current things happening in the Christian Reformed Church. Well, Willie, it's just you and I again back on the podcast. It seems like it's been quite a while since we've done one just... uh just you and I. So it'll be fun. It'll be fun for us to just have a conversation about some of the things that we've been uh, reading lately, some of the things that we've been doing for ministry. Um, and then, of course, like we always do, some of the things that we've seen going on in the Christian Reformed Church. And as our introduction always reminds us, whenever Reformation happens, things get messy. And <laughs> surprise, surprise, things continue to get messy in the Christian Reformed Church. But that's right. Um, before we dive into some of the books, I guess I want to build on that principle because there's there's a reason why we called this podcast The Messy Reformation. And there's a reason why we remind everybody that in every single introduction. And it's because we all have a tendency to think and hope that messy, that Reformation won't be messy. That's right. You just kind of hope and think that it's going to be clean and and easy and just kind of methodical. And, uh, and then when things get messy, we get frustrated with that. And so we want to keep reminding ourselves, because I'm one of those people who gets frustrated when that happens. Uh, we want to remind ourselves, but also all of our listeners, this is messy right now. It's going to continue to be messy for quite a while. So like, don't quit. Keep fighting the good fight. And, uh, and that actually really kind of sets us up for the conversation we wanted to have. Willie and I were talking about books that we've been reading lately. And Willie, what, what book are, are, have you been reading recently? Uh, uh, probably a few, uh, at least that I could mention right now. Uh, I forgot to mention I was also reading a little bit of uh, uh, snippets from Cornelius Van Til's apologetics book. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of brushing up on worldview um, you know, as as we kind of go forward here, I think there is an apologetic method here that's that's being missed. Um, so I've been reading that. And also in tandem with that, uh, Calvin, his little book on the Christian life, uh, pretty much any time I get to spend in the mind and pages of Calvin, I'm always I'm always better for it. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's one of the, the, one of the reasons why I said that conversation about a messy reformation in in a denomination. Um, I think Calvin's book on the Christian life, we could almost say that he talks about how, how messy the reformation of our lives is as well. That, that um, I I think I've, I read that section of his institutes at least once a year, maybe twice a year, uh, just to remind myself, like, this is the core of the Christian life. Because he talks about the core of the Christian life being denying yourself, bearing your cross, and meditating on the future life. Mm-hmm. And uh, like those are kind of the essence of the Christian life. And that's that's all really messy. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely right. And uh, I think we need to realize that going forward, um, even to those we minister to, uh, living a gospel-centered life means that you are to die. Uh, you are to die to yourself, and uh, the old man must be put away, and the new must rise to newness of life. That's part of why Dietrich Bonhoeffer said the Christian life is lived from the cross. Uh, if anybody would come after Jesus, he must take up his cross and die daily. Um, the old must be put away, and the new must rise to newness of life. So, um, yeah, no, I agree with that. And as we meditate, even on the future life, um, I think we understand that we're to be in an already sense of that right now. And if we're going to be taking hold of those things, we need to be um, seriously immersing ourselves and believing how God has spoken to us clearly on these issues. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I've been uh, working on lately and really convicted of recently is uh, this idea of meditating on the future life. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And I've been realizing, I don't think that's something, it's not something I have done well. Um, over the years, I think it's easy for us to keep, you know, uh, Calvin would say our eyes fixed on this earth and we need to kind of raise our eyes up mm-hmm. occasionally. Or I remember Sam Storms once. One foot around, raised? With one foot raised. Yeah, That's we right. must live on this earth with one foot raised, um, which is such a powerful image. I don't know where that came from in Calvin. I've never found it yet, but I remember Sam Storms preaching a really good conference message saying we are to live with one foot raised. And I think that's, that's really powerful. And we don't do that often. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't actually, I don't hear too many um, Christian reform ministers talking about that, that concept of, of seeking our heavenly reward. Uh, we're very, and, and that's probably, again, not that I want to keep pounding on this, but that's probably one of the errors that comes along with Kyperianism uh, or a danger, I guess. I would say that comes with Kyperianism is this focus on transforming culture now and it's, it's transforming the world now that that we don't look beyond to that not yet eschatology that that's coming. And uh, you go through scripture, um, there's a lot of passages that, that say, I've got a couple that I've been meditating on the last few weeks. Uh, Colossians 3.23, it's a pretty famous one. Whatever you do, this is a famous Kyperian one too, right? Reformed one. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Well, now, why do you do that? Knowing, or what like motivates you to do that? Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your, as your reward. That's right. That's how you work in this world for, for the Lord and not for men. You need to know that the Lord is the one who's giving you your reward or he's giving you the inheritance as your reward. 
another convicting one that I've been meditating on is Hebrews 11, 6. Mm-hmm. And this one is powerful because it says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe two things, that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Um, that's powerful. And uh, and uh, and then this other one, another one that I've been meditating on a lot. And I think this really, I hope this one, this another Hebrews 11 one. Um, cause really all of Hebrews 11 is talking about them seeking this heavenly reward or Abraham seeking a greater city. Um, but this one about Moses, because it talks about how, how was Moses able to live in Egypt, um, in a culture that was totally against, you know, what, what God saw as being glorifying, uh, you know, good and honoring. Right. And, and how are we, his people now we're, we're increasingly living in a, uh, what Aaron Wren would call the negative world, where like Christianity is seen as a negative thing. Um, how, how are we going to live in this? Um, anyways, Hebrews 11, uh, 23 through 26 says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful, that they were not afraid of the king's, king's edict. And then it says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Why? For he was looking to the reward. And uh, it's, it's one of those things that that's just been convicting for me um, the only way we're really going to be able to truly faithfully live out the Christian life in this kind of negative world that we're that we're in um, is to be meditating on looking forward to and holding on to that reward. That's how Moses did it in Egypt. Um, that's how actually all of the people in Hebrews 11 were able to walk by faith was being able to see the reward that was being held out there. And, uh, and that's what helps us get through all of this, this messiness of, of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can, I can speak to this probably experientially, uh, as somebody who, again, much like yourself, is is discontent sometimes about the world in which you find yourself, uh, and you want reformation to come quick. Uh, I was just talking to somebody. They said, you know, you're you're a pretty patient guy for most of the time, and I thought to myself, eh, if you really knew me and some of the stuff that I saw going on, you would understand how quickly. I want change and revitalization and reformation to actually happen. Um, And that's why this podcast is good for me, because it helps me to understand that the kingdom of heaven doesn't take off like the space shuttle or the 82nd Airborne. Um, It's very slow. Um, And I need to keep reminding myself of that. And even as as I have uh, come to some shifting, I would say, um, as far as my eschatology goes a little bit, I do understand very much that Christ is building his church on this earth. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And uh, the Lord is making his elect as the sand of the sea. Um, I understand that in scripture. But I think we also need to take hold of the fact that at some point, we need to look at the point where the perishable puts on the imperishable. Mm -hmm. We need to be understanding that uh, even as 
if if we are at home with the Lord to be absent from the body, that's not the end. The end is final resurrection. The end is new heavens, new earth. The end is from perishable to imperishable. And in that, I think I can understand better the fact that revitalization and being faithful and diligent to what God, God has called his church to on this earth is important. But it's only the already. It isn't the not yet. And I think every Christian kind of needs to live into that tension a little bit. We are to be faithful to how God has called us to live on this earth, continue to use the gifts that he's given us and strengthened his church for, to glorify him and build and edify his church. But also we need to be fixing our eyes on the city that he's prepared for us. Yeah. So uh, that that's just been been very helpful for me as I've been coming to some paradigm shifts myself lately. Yeah. Well, and it's the it's with our eyes on the end that we receive the I mean obviously it's the Holy Spirit, but but through that by by keeping our eyes on the end we we know we're giving strength to start carrying out those means. That's right. And uh, I was just uh, this last week. I was at the the Bethlehem Conference for pastors, and uh, uh, it's not posted live yet. When it goes live, I would encourage everyone to go listen to John Piper's message on what will humanity be for eternity. Um, and he's going through that, but he he spends a lot of time at the beginning of that talking about how this vision of the end is what uh, he quotes and I forget who he quotes now, but he goes, it gets the wheels the going. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's this thing that, that fuels our fire is the end. And, and one of the reasons why he talks about that is even um, if you go to think through the argument in first Corinthians 15, right? First Corinthians 15 is all about the resurrection of Christ and then gets into our resurrection. And it's talking about, you know, what was um, sown, perishable, be raised imperishable, right? It's all of that death. Where's your victory? Where's your sting? All of that beautiful stuff. But how does chapter 15 end? You know, therefore, because of all of these things, you know, I forget exact. Now I don't have the exact quote, but anyways, work heartily for the Lord, knowing that your labor is not, oh, be steadfast and immovable. um, Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Why is your labor not in vain now? Because it's working toward this, this eternal reward because you see that out there. It gives you strength and courage and firmness and steadfastness now in this life, because you know that there's something greater out there. And even that the work that you're doing now will have some eternal significance. And, uh, you know, I, I would, I've been going to write an article on this, but maybe we'll just talk about it. Keep talking about it on the podcast. Cause it's <laughs> You know, I'm chatting about it now, but, but, you know, that's what gets us through life is keeping our eyes on that heavenly reward. But that's also what, what should keep us um, engaged in fighting the good fight in the Christian Reformed Church is I've been saying this a lot, but I want to keep hammering it. We, we need to be able to see beyond the current battle that we're in now and the frustration of it and the difficulty of it and, and all of the chaos that kind of goes around it. We need to be able to see beyond that to the end. And so, yes, we need to see our heavenly reward, but, but I want to keep encouraging people look beyond the battles that we're fighting in the Christian Reformed church now to what will result at the end of the battle. Like, what are we fighting for? 
well, we're fighting for a denomination that's whole and healthy and truly unified that will build up, like will disciple people and see God's kingdom come and God's will be done. That's what we're doing, right? And uh, and that should really motivate you to keep on going and not to just throw your hands up in frustration when, as we'll talk about later, when GRE, Grand Rapids East, responds poorly to the in loco committee's report and when they create these new communities trying to, you know, figure out a third way in the midst of all of the frustration that comes in all of this, um, look beyond it. Don't, don't lose the end that we're going for because that will keep you strong in the midst of this current battle that we're in. Absolutely. I know some people, I think Aaron Gonzalez said this, some people shy away from battle mentality uh, and just the language of we're in a fight or we're in a battle, but um, we are waging war. Uh, we, we, we just are. Um, and it's, it, it all has to do between the competing growth of, like we say, the, the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and the expansion of the kingdom of Satan. And these things are in conflict with one another. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think as long as we continue to call those things, what they are at the given points of time that, that we're addressing them, I, I, then I think we're, we're doing right by ourselves, just keeping our minds and hearts in the right place, understanding we are in contention right now. And I do think it also helps the church as a whole understand why the Lord has given his church elders, why he's uh, given people and entrusted them with the teaching and promoting of what is sound uh, and the whole mission of the church, which is to disciple others and reach the nation's. Uh, and carry out God's purposes on this earth in building his kingdom. So I think, although people shy away from it, I do think that these uh, these words are necessary and they do carry meaning and weight. Yeah. And I mean, it's some of the most biblical language out there is fighting and battle and and war. But what what people get, people just miss some of the, you know, as we were talking about this, I was thinking about Ephesians 6. Mm -hmm. It reminds us we don't wrestle or we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, right? And, uh, but it's a reminder to us too, that, that this battle that when we talk about fighting for the CRC, fighting this battle for the CRC, we're not talking about fighting people, um, you know, uh, we're talking about fighting principalities and and powers and ideologies and taking every thought captive and right. doing war against thoughts and and heresy uh, concepts. We're taking war against these things, and there are people that hold these things, and so there is conflict with those people. But we're not going out to to slay people or anything like that. That's ridiculous. Um, but we're going out to to slay ideologies. And uh, and slay thing anything that goes contrary to God's word and will and and to fight a battle against that 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 is what we're doing, and uh, and we have to figure out how to do that in ways where we recognize that th there are people involved in that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, kind of as I was doing some reading in uh, in presuppositional apologetics, um, somebody said, "How would you define presuppositional apologetics?" And I think. Van Tiller Bonson said it's apologetics applied to unbelief, uh, which I think is a good definition. Another good working definition, and you kind of touched on this a little bit, um, it is an apologetic method that seeks 
to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, even the thoughts of non-believers. And I would say even those who contend uh, for points of neutrality here. Uh, so I, I think uh, what you're touching on, I think that's 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Um, I, I think, uh, yeah, it's very fitting and very appropriate for where we're at. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, oh boy, this would be an interesting conversation too. It's really Kuyperianism com- applied to apologetics. There's not one right. area of our apologetics over which Christ is not saying. <laughs> mine. <laughs> mine. Um, or your thoughts. There's not one area of your thoughts over which Christ doesn't say mine. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, this is taking it in a different direction, there's not one area of your emotions over which Christ doesn't cry mine. That's right. And so that's the battle. It's a battle going on inside of each one of us. I mean, I, ta- I use battle language all the time about, about my own sin. I mean, the scripture talks about fighting your own sin. Romans 8 talks about taking the sword of the spirit and killing the sin within you. Um, we are to battle. We have to battle these things. If you're not battling your sin, um, that's the famous quote, right? John Owen, yeah. be killing sin, be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. That's right. And if you're not killing sin, if you're just dancing with it or or merely arguing with your sin, it will kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and that's not that's not wise in in your own life, right? And uh, we don't. Yeah, I'm, I was going to go in a different direction. I'm just going to I'm decide not to go in that direction right now. No, it's not like we have five hours to talk about this. So yeah, <laughs> no, that's that's completely fair. Yeah. I just, I guess the, the topic I was going to go into, and I think it, it applies and maybe we'll just veer off in this direction for a little bit, because I've been thinking a lot about, um, there's a, there's a pretty well-known book out there by Tim Whitmer, um, called the shepherd leader. And he talks about, um, kind of four categories of a good shepherd, right? The, the good shepherd knows their sheep, a good shepherd leads their sheep, a good shepherd feeds their sheep and a good shepherd protects their sheep, right? And in order for a good shepherd to protect their sheep, um, they need to kill some things. Mm-hmm. Um, and they need to do that. Like they need to use violence to kill things to protect the, to protect their sheep. And so um, a good shepherd doesn't, you know, if, if there's like, I was thinking about that just in terms of my own life. Like it's not good for me to be soft on the sin in my life. Um, that's not being a good shepherd over my own soul, right? Um, and it's the same thing applies to my family. Anything that's going to attack my family, if I'm going to be a good shepherd, I need to protect them. And that may mean, you know, using force. Um, but that also applies as, as a church, as I'm as I'm protecting my flock, right? I need to mm-hmm. I need to kill some ideologies and things that are that are hindering and attacking my sheep. And that again applies broadly to our denomination as well. Like if we are going to have a healthy denomination, if we are going to shepherd this denomination well, we need to protect it. And that means some things need to be killed. We need to kill lions and bears, lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. <laughs> and in tandem with that, uh, even for, for those of our listeners who, who aren't pastors, but they're parishioners, but they're in the work of gospel ministry and ministering to those around us then we need to understand that truth, what you're saying is truth matters. And uh, the stakes are far too high. There's a quote from James White that says, he says, I, I cannot keep quiet 
the stakes are too high. If I truly love others, I will do what I can to direct them towards the gospel, even if it results in conflict. So I think if we understand how God has spoken, what he has revealed to us to be true and how we ought to live or ought not to live, then it's incumbent upon us who, who are in covenant with each other, who are in relationship with each other and who are in covenant with God as well to say, these are what God, these are the things God expects you to do and not to do based on how he's working in your life. Mm-hmm. And R.C. Sproul famously said, and I quote this all the time, truth is too important to kill it in the streets for the sake of peace. So I think when I think when we see people suggesting things like this third way or any way that has to do with a compromise of core principles, or as I like to say, compromise the gospel, I would say those stakes are too high. And yeah. what Christ has revealed is too high. I will not negotiate the gospel. And I think there comes a point where we just have to stand firm and say, no, here I stand. I can do no other. Amen. Yeah. And I, we can go here. Um, I, I've got a lot, because a lot of what we've been saying does kind of connect, I think, with this new uh, website that popped up with a group of leaders uh, behind it called Better Together, A Third Way. Um, it's a group in the CRC, uh, I'm assuming. I don't know this for sure, so I guess I'm not. I'll just clarify. I'm assuming that this is coming out of Grand Rapids East, and some of the things that they've been working on. Um, they've fairly publicly said they they were going to create some kind of an organization. It was going to go live soon, and and so here's an organization that pops up from the CRC with some people who are from Grand Rapids East on the committee, and they're arguing for. Uh, that we're better together. And there's a third way for the CRC to go moving forward. We don't have to divide on this issue. And uh, I think one of the, one of the really telling, um, one of the really telling things from their, from their website is they ask the question is better together. A third way, is it an alternative to divisions or polarized organizations such as the Abide Project or All One Body? And they their answer is yes and no. Better Together, a third way, is focused on reaching across these polarity polarities, taking, take for example, the issue of same-sex marriage. But Better Together is neither uniformly progressive or affirming, nor are we uniformly a conservative or traditional network. Rather, We are a movement calling the church and her members to a mission-focused, baptismally-based identity. This identity necessarily allows for diversity and disagreement on non-salvific ethical issues, such as same-sex marriage, for the purpose of unity and mission together within the church. Therefore, Better Together is not focused on being either for or against any particular group. We simply invite all who care about the church and prioritize mission and unity to join us. Uh, what are your thoughts, Willie? A lot. Do you want the Cliff Notes version? <laughs> What's on your brain after hearing that? Uh, I I think it is very uh, funny when people try and assume points of neutrality. Uh, there is no point. There are no points of neutrality when it comes to worldview. And uh, that's why the only way to stand is to see the world through 
how God has clearly revealed himself and on how he has um, placed a knowledge of him in the minds of everybody. And I'm, I've, I just have Romans one going through my head all over the place here. Um, but the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And then it goes on to give examples on how that suppression of the truth manifests. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts to impurity. And then it goes on to talk about uh, same-sex practices. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Then it talks about men and women exchanging natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And they're consumed with passions for one another, and they commit shameless acts. And then it's very interesting how Paul ends the chapter here. Verse 32 of Romans 1 says, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Mm-hmm. And that's his basis for saying, and that's why they are under the judgment of God. That is why the wrath of God is being revealed. Because even those who give approval to people who live in such a way, they're in suppression of the truth too. There is no neutrality here. And I maybe haven't been as clear with this, or maybe I've tried to be gracious, but I'm feeling a little wound up today. So our listeners get to feel me a little wiry here. Uh, I firmly believe that these are two different religions. Uh, I'm exactly where Machen was a hundred years ago uh, when he said, you have Christianity and you have liberalism. And these two are completely antithetical to one another. They have different gospels. They have different worldviews. They have different means of salvation, and only ours comes from embracing the truth. Theirs comes from suppressing the truth. So I disagree that these are not gospel-centered issues, because Paul very clearly says that those who practice such things are under the judgment of God. And I also disagree that there can be a third way of looking at this, because he clearly says here, those who give approval to those who practice it are under the judgment of God as well. Or like the prophets would say, they're they're making it they're calling evil good and good evil, and therefore the prophets say, "Woe to you!" or "Damn you!" So you asked for my immediate thoughts, and how about yours? <laughs> Any nicer? Well, <laughs> I think um, I think there's one really telling statement in here, and this is where where it kind of jumped out at me. One, the statement is. Um, We are not focused on being either for or against any particular, they say group, um, but, but really, I I know they're being intentional about their language. They're trying to say we're not for or against any group, but the reality is our groups are, these groups, these lines that are forming within the Christian Reformed Church are based around ideologies. That's right. Or understandings or theologies, whatever. Um, And so what they're saying is we're not either for or against either one of these positions. And uh, if you're not for or against anything, then what are you? That's right. You're lukewarm. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're neither hot nor cold. Um, And, and Jesus wants to do what? Vomit them. Yeah. And, and and what's telling to me is that for one this has been this has been the history of the Christian Reformed Church not wanting to be for i mean not 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 long term history 
Um, I can I can grant that the CRC has a history of making big issues out of small things, um, but that's not now, and that hasn't been for like forty years. Um, for the last forty years, the CRC has been known for being neither for nor against anything mm-hmm. as a whole. Now, more recently, we're known outside of the Christian Reformed Church, we're known for being for, you know, Black Lives Matter and all of that, because that's what our publications keep throwing out there all the time. But but really, when it comes down to certain issues like this, we, we just kind of try to find this middle way. And I was just listening to um, a Paul Vanderclay um, episode where he was he was with the reformed podmatics guys i'm not done with the whole interview yet but but even in that episode paul says you know the christian reformed church has always been a, a a church of the middle right like or a church of to use the more recent controversial language a church of the third way right we're we're a third way church we we're neither we're neither Democrats nor Republicans. We're, we're, we're some in the middle. We're, we're neither egalitarian or complementarian. We're just kind of somewhere in the middle. We're neither this nor that. We're somewhere in the middle. And, and we've always kind of t- tried to take that. We've been taking this place where we think that the third way is always the best way in everything. And that's just not right. That's, that's not, that's so unbiblical. And, and and what what really stands out for me is if you don't stand for something, it, for me, and this is where I start to get wound up, is if you don't stand for something, that shows that you don't really love anything. Because mm-hmm. in order for you to truly love something, to really really love something, that means by necess by that means necessarily mm-hmm. that you also hate anything that will hinder or attack or hurt this thing that you love. And so if you're going to be wishy-washy in the middle and stand for nothing, that means you actually aren't loving. And for us who can get wound up about certain things, um, we are wound up about things because we truly love something. And, and we're, we're frustrated, we're angry, we're fighting against all of these things that are attacking the thing that we love. And for us, really, I know people would accuse us of loving maybe some wrong things, but but really for us, we're we're loving the glory and honor of God and his word and what he's revealed to us. And we think he's clearly revealed these things in his word. And so anything that's coming against that, we think is dishonoring God, dishonoring his word. And then on top of that, because you're dishonoring God, because you're dishonoring his word, then you're destroying people. And we love people and we think what you're doing is hurting people. And so that's why we respond to the way we do, because we actually love. But if you stand in the middle, neither for nor against anything, you have no real love. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for part two of Willie and I's conversation about current events in the Christian Reformed Church. But until then, don't forget this is Christ Church and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.